everyone, Griffin Marie here, and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It's Friday, which means that it's time for the week in review and preview. Our conversation today will focus on a variety of topics, including the second quarter reporting season and Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell's two-day testimony in front of Congress, as well as practical tips for asset allocation as we head into the second half of 2021. I'm excited to welcome back Mike Gord for today's podcast. Mike is an investment associate with the UBS Chief Investment Office here. So, Mike, it's been a while, so great to be with you again and looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, Chris, thanks for having me back. It has been a while. Also looking forward to it. Uh, so, Mike, the, the second quarter reporting season is underway. Obviously, much of uh, the S&P 500 has yet to report, but from the initial readouts and market reaction from this week, are there any notable trends uh, you and CIO have observed so, thus far? Sure. Yeah. So again, just just getting underway here. We've, we've got 11% of the S&P 500 market cap having reported uh, through yesterday's close. <clears throat> uh, you know, given how earnings season does always start heavy on the financials, you know, there isn't a ton of information we can glean, you know, across sectors at this point. Uh, I will say though that within the financial sector, we're seeing 80% of reports beat sales, 93% beat earnings. And, and given financials are reporting first, the aggregate benchmark, is, it's about those levels too. Uh, but the levels of the beat themselves are strong. Uh, aggregate sales are beating by 4.5% on average, and earnings are beating over 20%. So, so really strong numbers there. Uh, now into the market's reaction to the releases, uh, to use one word, I'd say underwhelming. Uh, it's almost becoming too predictable these days that when financial companies beat their reporting estimates, their stock prices take a dip. Uh, yeah, I know it's strange, strange phenomenon, but it speaks to the larger point that I want to make, which is that you know this earnings season, like the last, you know it's going to be messy. You know there, you know, I don't know how many revisions to estimates have been made. You know the incoming data has been looking better or worse week in, week out, and just given the uncertainty that's still around the outlook, I don't put a ton of stock in you know the market's response to these latest earnings results at least over such a short horizon we'll see how you know it plays out through the earnings season um so i'd say overall you know the jury is still out on earnings and the market reaction at this point you know earnings are going to be strong we'll see how the market digests that absolutely so uh as investors digest equity markets at all-time highs interest rates inflation macroeconomic uncertainty what's cio's approach to asset allocation at the moment mike yeah, this is a great question, uh, and it's one that we do we do hear a lot these days. Uh, and and additionally, it gives me the opportunity to to parrot one of our equity strategy team's best talking points, in my opinion, which is you know we we look back at historical data all the way back to 1960, uh, and we compared periods when stocks are at an all-time high versus less than an all-time high, below an all-time high, and we compared. You know, based on that starting point, the next one, two, and three-year equity market returns. Uh, and so when stocks are actually at an all-time high, those forward returns are higher than when they're below an all-time high. You know, it, it, it's somewhat confusing, but it's really due to the cyclical nature of markets and the fact that they will, you know, always trend up and to the right over time. Um, but, you know, that's a really powerful statistic to me because, it, it you know, it's, it's a strong argument you know, against the notion that investing at all-time highs will hurt returns and that it's better than waiting for a market pullback or correction. You know, in CIO, we've written, I don't know how many pieces, just showing that that's not the case. And, and in the vast, vast majority of instances, it's going to make more sense to invest now at an all-time high than to try to time one of those market pullbacks. 
Now, under your other point, uh, they all tie in really well with CIO's current tactical preferences. Uh, generally, we're positioned risk on overall, a strong preference for equities over you know, pretty much every fixed income segment. Uh, as generally, we think there's room to run higher uh, for equities in this and, and you know, credit spreads are at you know, really cycle types. So more specifically, we like the more value-oriented cyclical parts of equity markets. These, you know, these sectors haven't recovered nearly to the extent that the more growth or defensive names have. Uh, so we think that there's really ample room for improvement and, and performance pickup from there. Now, you know, outside of the U.S., we do keep that preference for value over growth. Uh, and our, our other preferred markets are more cyclical in nature. Those right now are Japan and emerging market equities. Both of these markets have continued to meaningfully underperform in the recovery so far. Uh, and we think that there are a few reasons that they should play catch up from here. Now, in the case of Japan, after a pretty dismal start to the vaccination campaign, uh, the rates of vaccination among their citizens has, has really skyrocketed, and they're seeing about 50 doses of vaccine administered per 100 people. So really phenomenal pickup in vaccination rates there, and this should really allow activity to resume in earnest, boosting equity earnings, and we expect stock prices in Japan to, to play catch up to those high earning expectations. And, and another benefit of owning these Japanese stocks is that they tend to have a positive correlation with U.S. real rates, one of the only asset classes that has this, this characteristic. So as we do expect you know, U.S. Treasury yields to rise you know, through this year and into next, Japanese stocks shouldn't be as negatively impacted by that as the stocks of other, other markets. Now, our, as I mentioned, our other preferred market is emerging markets. Uh, story here on vaccinations. Uh, you know, it, the pace has not quite jumped as much as Japan, uh, but it is really picking up. Um, you know, considering the vast majority of the global population lives in an emerging market, it's going to take a lot more time for them to make that, those real serious, serious progress. Um, but, you know, especially in the larger and more economically significant countries, we're seeing those rates really start to pick up. Uh, and another another boon for emerging markets is that these equities tend to perform well in periods of rising commodity prices, uh, something we've seen, you know, we've seen strong rises in commodity prices this year, and we expect that to continue. Uh, but this positive relationship in this recovery hasn't been as strong, so we'd actually expect those EM equities to pick back up and, and you know, re, uh, I, I'd say move back in, in line with that relationship that we've seen historically. Absolutely. And appreciate the insights there, Mike. That was terrific. Uh, but, you know, turning our attention to some development stateside, we received a lot of Fed speak this week from none other than the chairman himself, uh, Chairman Powell's congressional testimony on Capitol Hill. Were there any notable takeaways from his comments that you want to highlight for us today? Yeah. So, uh, you know, rather than focus on his on his comments and his testimony specifically, you know, the main character of this play is inflation. Uh, as, as we all know, you know, after the CPI print that we got on Tuesday this week showing a, a 0.9% month-on-month increase in core CPI, which brought the year-over-year reading up to 4.5%, you know, this is right now every macroeconomist, strategist, asset allocator's main focus. You know, we're asking questions like, why, why are these readings coming in so high? Is it as transitory as you know, the Fed has, has been saying and has expected you know, even back just a couple months ago? And, and really, the, the main focus is, is the Fed behind the ball in terms of their reaction function? Are they going to be behind the curve? 
So those are the types of questions we're asking. And and to those questions, you know, inflation readings this month were, were very high again because, and I'm using quotes here, this is Powell's exact language, a narrow group of things. You know, those are really aberrations in the data, like these crazy high price increases we've seen for used cars. Uh, you know, a few months ago it was lumber. So it's just really narrow categories of items. Um, this this really can't sustain. And when these price increases do start to tail off, the result is actually that the decline in these prices is going to be as significant as the rapid increase. And so it'll appear to be a deflationary force. Now, that aside to the scariest question, which is, is the Fed behind the curve? Uh, short answer, no. Uh, and Powell's made one comment that basically reinforces this view, which is that he suggested that in the event that this inflation that was originally perceived as transitory, if it in fact turns out to be more sustained, he's committed, the Fed is committed to using their tools to bring it back down to 2%. So, you know, after giving the markets these last few months to, to sweat out what higher inflation outlooks could bring, Powell did make clear during these testimonies that you know, the Fed views the rise as transitory, uh, and if they do see it transitioning from transitory to sustained, they'll take action to tamp it down. Well, you mentioned the CPI data in your response there, Mike. So that, that kind of carries us into the, our next question here. So on that macroeconomic data front, what are some notable uh, data points you want to recap for us from this week? Yeah, sure. So, so of course, the, the CPI number, uh, really hot. That, that was actually above every economist on the street's expectations. You know, just to show you how big of a surprise it was. Uh, similarly, this week we got PPI inflation. Uh, month over month came in at one percent, bringing the year over year reading up to five and a half percent. So a big jump there on the producer inflation side as well. Uh, on on the labor market, uh, I described this week's continuing and initial jobless claims as disappointing progress. No real trick change from trend there. You know, came in right around expectations, still grinding back at a sluggish pace. Um, now, actually, just this morning, less than an hour ago, we did get a big positive surprise in retail sales data. Mm. Uh, this street was looking for a 0.3% decline month over month, and the reading came in at, at plus 0.6. And if you actually exclude those those pesky auto numbers, uh, that jump was actually 1.3%. So this was above every economist on the street's expectations. Again, uh, showed particularly strong growth among electronics, clothing retailers, as well as restaurants. Now, the release this week that I'm probably most interested in isn't actually out yet. Uh, that's the University of Michigan survey coming out later this morning. And specifically, I'll be focused on the one-year one and five- to ten-year inflation expectations. Uh, given the importance of inflation expectations on actual realized inflation, seeing meaningful pickups here would, you know, on net, air the Fed to be on the side of tightening sooner rather than later. Uh, but to be clear and caveat that, this is just one of many, many readings that they would consider, but it's part of the overall trend. So that, that's the macro rundown from this week, Griff. Oh, thank you, Mike. Now, uh, turning our attention towards next week, what should be on the top of minds for investors as they prepare for the week ahead? Yeah, so uh, actually going to be a pretty quiet week on the macro data front next week. Uh, the thing that jumps out to me on the calendar is, you know, the initial continuing claims again. Uh, and then later in the week, we'll get the preliminary market PMI readings on Friday. Um, but again, that's just the, the preliminary reading. Those will be adjusted throughout the, the remainder of July and into August. Uh, other than the macro data, though, uh, as always, we're keeping a close eye on Washington. We're, we expect to hear more 
posturing and negotiating on the infrastructure deal. Uh, so looking for, you know, any signs of compromise and, and moving that deal forward there. Uh, and lastly, I will be turning my gaze overseas to Tokyo for the opening ceremony on Friday. Uh, given that we are most preferred on Japanese stocks, we'd, we'd hope that everything there goes off without a hitch. Uh, but nevertheless, as a fan of competition and sport, it will have my attention. So that's, that's what's going on next week, Griff. Well, Mike, uh, terrific speaking with you as always and appreciate your insights for us today. Uh, thank you so much for joining and we look forward to having you back on sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me. My pleasure all my Mike. And again, we have been joined today by Mike Gord, Investment Associate Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. And as a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office authors a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com slash CIO. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you'd like to learn more about or receive a copy of any of the publications and blogs directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes and Spotify. Visit UBS.com slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the UBS trending video series. So, from UBS Studios, I'm Griffin Marie, and thank you so much for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.